Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week, I'm going to take a deep dive into Andor Episode 5, titled The Axe Forgets. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter at Force Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Force Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our Tee Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it is time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another installment of Forest Ghost Conversations, and I'm ready to do a deep dive into Andor Episode 5. Spoiler alert, it's one of my favorites, and it may even be some of my favorite Star Wars that the Disney era has produced over the last couple of years, so I'm very highly keen on this and the themes that are presented within the episode, so I hope you're ready to take that deep dive once we're through our news segment, which is right up now affectionately called Cloud City Gossip. So for those of you at home, New York Comic Con took place this past weekend. And at the convention, there was a panel specifically on the High Republic, which provided us with a slew of new information about the series heading forward. First, we got a brand new cover for Cataclysm by Lydia Kang, as well as Path of Vengeance by Kevin Scott. Also, if you're a fan of the Edge of Balance manga series, which I am, which is set during the High Republic, the stories will continue in Phase 2. Star Wars, The Edge of Balance, Precedent, written by Daniel Jose Older and Tomio Ogata, will arrive in May 2023, so not too long of a wait for that next installment in this series. Additionally, a new book was announced at the at the panel featuring all of the authors involved in the Star Wars The High Republic books and comics. This book anthology of tales written for a YA audience, young adult audience, which connects to every era of the initiative, including the upcoming Phase 3. Now, this story will arrive in July 2023, so get look forward to that coming out this summer. And uh, you're certainly going to have a litany of new Star Wars The High Republic books in between then, so you will not be you know, in a, in a drought in terms of stories in this era for too long. You know, for more information about the High Republic Phase 2 announcements from this panel, be sure to check out StarWars.coms, where you can also see those specific covers I discussed earlier, as well as some key concept art and pages from upcoming comic book panels as well, and in addition to some other things too. So just check all that out, some good stuff on that site. Now, specifically for those keeping up with the High Republic, the first book of Phase 2 actually came out this past week. It's called Path of Deceit by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland, which hits shelves this past October 4th. Now, I personally cannot wait to get back into the High Republic once I have a break from grad school. I highly recommend you all join in on the adventure too, and perhaps, you know, Phase 2 is a great place to join in since it's set 150 years before events of phase one so it's kind of a prequel 
to phase one, if you will, kind of similar to what they did in Star Wars with uh, episodes four, five, and six, then going back to do one, two, three. Now, finally, Star Wars Tales of the Jedi got a new poster released in anticipation of the show's debut on Disney Plus this coming October 26th. The poster features both Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku in the center, who are the two main characters. They're surrounded by a slew of familiar characters as well, and some that we will come to know better through the run of the show. Now, this is definitely something that I'm very excited about. Uh, be sure to check out our previous episode where we did a discussion on the trailer for Tales of the Jedi, and that was in our D23 episode a few weeks back. And uh, certainly once this series comes out, we will be discussing all of those character stories of uh, the six mini episodes, if you will. I think they're like six 15-minute shorts. So definitely looking forward to all of that coming out. And guess what, everybody? We're at Andor time now. It's time to do our deep dive discussion into episode five, which will be on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. Okay, everyone, it is time for our Andor episode five discussion titled The Axe Forgets. Now, I am so keen on this episode. I spoiled it a little earlier how much of a fan of this episode I am. There's just so much relatability to this episode across real world experiences. And personally, for me, I think, too, I can relate to a lot of these instances in this episode and, and we'll get into all this throughout the course of my analysis and my notes that I have written down here. But I just wanted to forewarn you on all that, that this is a very, very much, I connected to this episode very, very prominently, and I hope that you did as well. So, you know, I'm going to try and exhume that passion onto all of you about this episode. Uh, and it just got me very, very much excited for the rest of the series and what this means for... The, the overall arc of the season of Andor. From what this episode really does, it it, it cl makes it clear to me, at least in this first couple of episodes, and I'm going to make a claim that is probably going to be similar to the rest of this series, is that, you know, we got 12 episodes of Andor, and those first three episodes played like a movie with a clear beginning, middle, and end. And I think that this arc, too, is going to be another similar thing for episodes four five and six are also a clear beginning middle and end and then i think probably seven eight nine and ten eleven twelve will do something similar as well so just get ready for that I, i'm going to go out on a limb here without having any insider knowledge whatsoever i think that'll probably be the case and i would expect it too and i'm really appreciating this level of, of detail and storytelling that's consistent across the the board hopefully it reminds me of, of a clone wars you know character or story arc, whatever, that they typically have three episodes, three, four episodes, if you will, of a, at a time that is, is set to one specific story. And if you haven't seen a Clone Wars, then you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you have, then you certainly are aware of all that I am dishing here. So this is your spoiler warning for Andor Episode 5, The Axe Forgets. If you haven't seen the episode yet, I mean, come on now, what are you doing? Pause this episode now. Go watch it and then come right back to this moment because anything after this point is certainly on the table for spoilers. And, you know, even though I would argue that there isn't a whole lot of quote unquote like action and very 
big plot movement forward items in this episode, there's definitely a lot of slow character beats that really make this episode pop in a way that others maybe haven't in 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 the Andor series. And I guess maybe you could even make the argument across Star Wars and the Disney era as well. But hey, you know, everyone's allowed to their interpretation. And I think this is really a nitty gritty character piece in the midst of this epic adventure that we're on with Cassie and Andor. So again, this episode is directed by Susanna White and written by Dan Gilroy, who also um, did the previous episode, episode four. So this this group is seemingly continuing in their in their uh, story that they're trying to present here in within this it's a season of Andor. Something that I noted right away, too, that I think gives credence to what the episode is all about, or at least kind of the tone of it whatsoever, is this the intro theme, right? The the intro theme with the title card sequence where it says Andor, it kind of gets darker and then gets brighter and you start to see the Andor come into play, into focus, if you will. The theme is, is quite quiet and somber in the intro credit and i think it symbolizes both the calm before the storm that is very much well within the roots of this episode but i will also say that's just kind of like the tone tenor and pace of this episode in general it's quiet it's slow it's very talkative it's a lot of walking and talking there's a lot of character intrigue and drama within those conversations of course but you know, it's not like the action-packed episodes of episode three, and I would argue a little bit episode four. Um, maybe not episode four. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of shooting around and all that stuff, but definitely episode three. That's for sure. Now, it starts with our Imperial Prefect guy, Cyril Karn, and in an almost anti-Luke Skywalker situation, he is looking out at the twin... Not the twin sons. <laughs> excuse, excuse me there. I just, you know, you say Luke Skywalker and sons. You automatically say twin sons. But he's just looking out at the son of Coruscant, or frankly, what little he can see of the son at Coruscant being such a low level. Both he and his mother have a very interesting, very, very interesting, I want to highlight and underline that one there, conversation at their dinner table, breakfast table, whatever you want to call it. I think they're having breakfast right now. She seems to really really put a lot of pressure on him to succeed to be a leader to make a name for himself maybe even to make a name for the family if you will i think that it is this this whole interaction i'm going on a limb here is something that many of us can relate to familial pressure can really be tough at times ladies and gentlemen and as far as we can tell he has had little time to regroup before even making a chance to look at other prospects for both his career professionally moving forward what have you it's been as far as i can tell it's been like a day and he's he's literally being asked to go you know he's not even focused on on that he's just got so much going on in his head he just you know basically lost his job he, he has to reflect on all that he's he's done wrong he doesn't even have time to do all that He's my his mom's hounding him. Get 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 your get your job now. What are you doing sitting around the house here? I'm calling your uncle for a favor. How dare you do this to the family in a way? But also she's like nice and condescending about it. It's just it's just not great. It's not great at all. Now I did find the breakfast that he is eating interesting as well. So now cereal 
is canon in Star Wars, and I hope that it is available at Galaxy's Edge one of these days. But I will also note that if you if you see the scene in you know close up, you'll notice that there's the blue milk that they add into the cereal, which is a nice touch for sure. But however, I wonder about the taste of it all. Now, don't get me wrong; I, I absolutely love love blue milk. You'll find me at Galaxy's Edge ordering some all the time. It is delicious. Um, but it is already a very, like I would describe blue milk as being very fruity pebble or fruit loops esque in terms of its taste. So the cereal to me looked also similar to a fruity pebble fruit loop taste, just based off a of look, right? I think maybe it could be entirely wrong. It could maybe have a, like a chocolate flavor, <laughs> but you know, we, we, we live in a world where we make connections to things based off of what we see. And frankly, the way that our food works, especially when it comes to our cereals, I, oftentimes it looks the way it tastes. And I saw a lot of vibrant colors. There were some like blue and reds there. And this reminded me of like very, very, very berry centered food, if you will, very fruit like, very, you know, all that type of stuff. So those would seem to be the flavor profile of that cereal. And it almost seems to me like, like an you would get a double dosage of Fruity Pebbles if you add that type of cereal to blue milk. Now, it may be great. It may work. I don't know. I'm not trying it. I don't have the ability to try it, and I'm not going to Galaxy's Edge just to buy some blue milk and smuggle in some cereal in order to have have this. But maybe that's a good idea. We could do that one day, perhaps, and, and try it out and sit out at Galaxy's Edge for some breakfast with some <laughs> blue milk. <laughs> not dogging it but i mean it would be kind of expensive i think it's like seven dollars for a blue milk but uh you know maybe one day maybe one day we'll see what happens now that back to the mom though that mom is a real piece of work and it, because of this interaction you almost feel a bit of sympathy for cyril karn right now i mean i personally am feeling a little sympathetic towards this guy i mean again she's hounding him for prospects and jobs over breakfast after literally just arriving potentially the night before. She's yelling at him about his appearance and posture. She's complaining that she never got to see him in his quote-unquote flourishing times. I mean, geez, no wonder the guy put everything he had into his job and getting out of that toxic environment and his, and his familial household. The mom, like I alluded her to earlier, decides that she will also call their Uncle Harlow for job prospects. And the mom is quite condescending and manipulative, let me say. Now, clearly, I think thus far in the series, and what we'll see later on in the episode two, food conversations in Andor, or conversations over you know, food or at the dinner table, whatever table is where typically people eat, have not been the best characters right so you look back at that mon mothma scene from episode three there's definitely going to be another instance or two in episode uh five so yeah interesting stuff so after the breakfast convo the story shifts back to aldani and we find cassian who is awoken to find Skeen kind of inspecting his gear. He's shirtless. He's, he's doing the, 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 the rounds in the morning. This is the day before their quote-unquote heist at, uh, at, at the station in Eldani. 
Now, I think Cassian and Skeen bond over being in a youth center, if I understand their their interaction there correctly. Probably Imperial Run. And perhaps that shows, or, I mean, in, in my understanding that I, I'm making the leap here that perhaps that's how Cassian was conscripted into Empire service at Mimban. You know, he says he was, he was 13 when he went in. I think, if I remember right, Luthan said he was 16 or something like that when... He was at Mimbom and he escaped after two months being there. So if you think if you if, if everything presented being truthful here, Cassian was 13 going in there. He said his served three years, like he said, and then conscripted in the military service potentially and served as a as a cook at Mimban. So it'll be intriguing to find out more about this backstory here and Cassian's relation to his family during this time, both in reference to Marva and Clem, as these adopted folks that took him in. And in this interaction, Skeen says a really important line, which is, you know, it's pivotal to the title of the episode, but I think overall, just for the episode itself and what it means, this is a really great, great line. So he says, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. Now, I think this quote is quite pivotal to really what the show is about. The Empire just keeps taking. They're doing horrendous things across the galaxy, and they may not remember nor care to remember the harm that they have done or what they have done. But the people who have been harmed, those who have been left behind, oh, they for sure remember, ladies and gentlemen. And eventually, when enough people get tired of this, and the, the, the growing numbers of these people that are oppressed and, and affected by the atrocities of the Empire keep growing in numbers and numbers, eventually they will rise up and become what we know as today as the Rebellion, or what they will become in Episodes 4, 5, and 6, and proceeding in Star Wars Rebels a little bit in Rogue One. Now, it is clear that Skeen wants revenge on the empire and that is why he is here that is his purpose for being a part of this group here on aldani but skeen just he just can't seem to wrap his head around why cassian is here now of course cassian is keeping everything close to the chest and i get it i get it this guy wants to he wants to make sense of everything he wants the world to make sense around him and sometimes you have to force it to and by forcing it to, he's, he's doing everything he can to get Cassian to share this information with him. And it helps that, uh, you know, he's trying to build trust with those around you. And, and that's and that's why you, you kind of want to know why people are here. Do they have the same inclinations that you do? Do you, is, is the cause enough reason that they are all here? Or they, you know, in Cassian's case, he's being paid for it. What's everyone's reasoning for doing this? Because you want to make sure that you're 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 looking out on all all angles here. You don't want to be backstabbed along the way. You don't want to make sure that he's not in a, in a, a behind a double operative here, working actually for the Imperials. I, certainly, all that is on the table there. And the, and with a high stakes situation like this, where life is on the line, something you got to be considering. Certainly, Cassian, of course, stays close to his chest. And that's where we conclude with their little interaction there. And oh boy, we get another dinner table scene, or I think it's over breakfast again too, because of the way Mon Mothma says, is really the way you want to start your day? Now, we get Mon Mothma's daughter introduced. Her name is Leda. And fun fact, the actress who plays Leda is also the person that plays 
Madeline, the daughter in the fantastic film Christopher Robin, which stars our very own Ewan McGregor. Of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi, for those that aren't aware of the name overall. Now, like I said, conversations around the, the dinner table are not really great in this series. Mon Mothma clearly gets no support from that toxic husband of hers, Perrin, and her daughter is certainly being a teenager. Now, if you've interacted with a teen lately, you probably know what I mean when I say that line. It's almost like Mon Mothma is frankly trapped in her own house, and that is not great. There's a great line that is said by Nemec back on Aldani as the group is preparing for doing some final last-minute training, kind of getting the, the run of show for the actual heist mission itself. And he says, the pace of oppression outstrips our ability to understand it. And I think that is really great. That's some great wisdom right there for any rebellion or revolution. Understanding is key to anything. And frankly, that's just how the Empire has operated to this point is it's one atrocity after another. Information that gets out is very minimal. They control the narrative. They suppress communications. They control all this stuff. And that's how they've been able to keep their wits about themselves and continue to have this this hold over the entire galaxy for so long is frankly people just didn't know how they could get through the cracks and eventually like i said before when you have enough people that are tired of of getting beaten by the tree like right the tree that's left behind keep you know the keep getting hit by the same axe right eventually they're going to get tired of it right just think about han in solo a star wars story where he says i'm tired of people hitting me as soon as they hit me, I hit back, right? And that's basically what eventually is, is going to come to pass. So Nemec is certainly the most enthusiastic in the cause, just from a grand psychological and philosophical standpoint. And it's almost like he's an example, right, of a philosopher during the Enlightenment, if you will. Now, I thought the training sequence was great, too. You can really tell how much time and effort has been put into this plan for the last several months from this group. Cassian's insights are really helpful too, though it's, it's, it's interesting that they put so much time and effort into this mission, yet missed out on some key details that could have really made themselves stand out for potentially being problematic areas. It's a good thing that he's a part of this team, so he could say, like, you know, switch sides for who is holding a weapon to make it more realistic. How to get the ship flying for the getaway, right? Some things are not included in manuals that are just by nature of experience that you know how to operate, maneuver, what have you. Now, the use of the, the, the sound of the TIE Fighter, I thought, was really fantastic. That's probably one of my, my big standouts of this episode. It is the first time I can really recall, in live-action Star Wars, if you will, that the sound of the TIE Fighter is used as a, a plot point to insinuate tension and fear. Now, it really harkens back to the German 
Ju-87 Stuka dive bomber from the Second World War that inspired the sound design of that ship. Now, that's excellent work. Excellent work, if you ask me. The tie that spots them when they're doing the initial, you know, soldier training portion of it, when they're trying to march and make sure that everyone's on the right side that they should be, the tie spots them from above and makes a pass over them really, really close to the ground. It's just a display of, of arrogance and just because, right? It's one of those things that they can do it as an abuse of power that comes with that their status and place in the empire is purely an act as a, the result of, of why? Because they can. They can just do it because no one else is going to stop them. There's this interesting thing, too, that Nemec says, and he's exactly right in this. And he says, quote, surprise from above is never as shocking as one below. They almost anticipated that this TIE fighter would do something like this in a way. Like it's, you come to expect it, but they're never, the Empire's never expecting someone to look like them that's actually coming in and trying to usurp them. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Now, back at the ISB, Deidre Mero is certainly onto something with the formation of the rebellion and the various cells making efforts across the galaxy. She says, it is just too random to be random. I don't even think she says that. I think her, her aide says that. Unfortunately, Mater Partagas only wants to hear something if it is concrete. And she just doesn't have the burden of proof yet to make her claim fully in a report. Now, they do make note of the activity on Kessel. And I want to note that because it is somewhat important since the first episode of Star Wars Rebels does take place on Kessel somewhat. You may recall that that place is where the ghost crew saves a group of Wookiees from being forced workers there in the in the in the mines. Now it's good to note too again that Andor and Rebels at this point take place at the exact same time. Well, exactly their first seasons too. Cuz I know Andor is going to do some time jumping in season 2, but at least this point they're both taking place 5 years before the Battle of Yavin. So that's definitely a reference to that activity, which I think is a really great Easter egg for for those that are kind of keeping track of all the things that are happening during the dark times of the Empire's reign. Now, for the fireplace scene, Aladani, I did. I, I will note that it, there's a detail that wasn't missed on me, and I hope I hope that you know you didn't miss it at home, and that's okay if you did. Um, I'm going to talk about it here, so maybe you get a chance to go rewatch it again. I thought it was just a really great quiet moment here where they show that that fireplace and they they're burning the makeshift scene that they did of the, of the of the base and the imperial facility and they're burning the imperial facility and the only and it's frankly the only part that is burning and the flame stops at that structure where people watch the eye of Haldhani that's great that's really great it symbolizes the both the coming attack the next day and what they're going to be doing there but it also represents the healing of, of the planet without the empire destroying its culture and its resources, right? They're going to end this, 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 this cancer, if you will, that has, that has plagued their planet and, and, and get rid of it. Now, Skeen does find the Kyber crystal that Luthen gave to him. You may recall this from a few episodes ago, or, or last episode, I will say. And again, he's still he's still so bothered as to why Cassian is here 
who he is, etc. These, these questions are just lingering in his head, and the tensions are getting higher and higher as the group nears their destination for the coming mission. Cassian then shares to the group after you know being tired of being prodded and picked at all the time here. He's he's actually being paid. He makes it very clear. I'm being paid. That's why I'm here. Why would I be here otherwise, right? It doesn't matter if I believe the cause that much, right? At a certain point, this is a suicide mission, or at least a very minimal chance of me getting out at the end of the day. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to be paid some hazard pay for for this. I'm here for the money, he says. Very similar to like a online later on. Cassian is... he. He has this really great instance of, of of knowledge here that he's imposing on the team, right? He says that the day before is always hard. Like you're all emotions are high, you all have time to think, everything is running through your head. There's just so much going on right now. And he says, "quote There's a difference between fear and losing your nerve." And he puts it plainly clear that they should make their own choices for if they go forward or do not go forward with the mission, and don't and not to put the blame on Cassian. Right, they're they're all, especially Skeen here. He's like, if you're looking for an excuse, don't blame for me. You're already thinking it in your head. Don't use me as a scapegoat for it here. Make your own choice. Be your own person. Leave. But if if you're here, like don't like. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that that why he's here and he's he's being paid for that purpose. He's here and he's here and he's willing to be a part of it and he's he's giving a hundred percent his all to this. Frankly, if you ask me, so your own inhibitions and insecurities at this point are your, are the only thing holding you back. Now, I really, really found Diego Luna's acting in this sequence to be, frankly, one of the best of the series thus far. He's really coming into his own with the character and the motives required to give a performance real with the gravitas that he exhumed in, in this scene. So bravo, bravo across the board there. Now back to Cyril, he still seems to be holding on to that hologram of Cassian that you, I think was in episode two. My assumption is that he will continue to place his shortcomings and faults onto him, and I don't think being around his mother is helping that too much at the end of the day. Now I have a strong feeling, this is a speculation of course here too, hopefully this is a little responsible speculation here, but I have a strong feeling that this infusing of his anger and his rage and and putting that all into one basket right cat the cassian basket if you will i have a strong feeling that will come into play in his future actions and what takes place the rest of the season now of course the rest will be um up to what is portrayed on the screen for us in the upcoming episodes but i don't think they would have just lingered on that on that image for so long for us not to have an inclination or at least belief that something will come later on about that so Skeen shares that his revenge for the Empire is based on them killing his brother. And what he shares in this instance is that it also kind of somewhat ties back to the tree analogy from before, as his brother was a tree farmer, right? That's that's that line. The axe forgets, title of the episode, but the, the tree remembers, right? And in a way, he... Skeen is that tree that is remembering his both his brother, the atrocities that he has also personally endured. But he's like, I, I don't really know what it is right now. What it is, call it what you will. I think it's revenge right now. But I don't really have a, a name for it. My my emotions are running so high at this point 
that I just want to take my pound of flesh and call it a day. Like I need, I need an eye for an eye in order for me to feel somewhat satisfied <laughs> and move on. So that's interesting there. That's interesting. I, I think that's a really, really deep, deep theme and, and motive for both rebellions, revolutions, what have you. This, this episode is really riddled with some great, great wisdom and philosophy when it comes to all that. Also, we get a little bit of Luthen towards the end of the episode as he's clearly worried about this team and how they're going to make their activities the next day. And, and it also looked like that he has a holocron in his shop if you look behind him, and I, I definitely need to learn more about that here and what he's got going on in this antiquities space that he's got. So that's great. And, and it's obviously another great cliffhanger. I, it's going to be an action-packed episode next week where they enact this incredible heist against all odds, suicide mission, if you will, I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens and and the action that results of it. But this episode just did a fantastic job of setting up all that, putting it together, letting us know a bit more about where everyone stands. It's really a slow character piece with so much great dialogue along the way. Now, before we headed out, I did want to talk about this great theme that came across in this episode here. Now, trust is such a commonality throughout this 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 particular episode. The group on Aldani can't move forward. They'd be a dysfunctional group if they don't have trust with each other. And there's clearly a lack of trust between other groups in this series. Mon Mothma and her family, Cyril and his mom, and the ISB agency overall. The only thing, or the only one that is going well, in terms of like their intergroup dynamics and being able to move forward as a cohesive unit is the team that is truthful with each other. And, you know, it, it doesn't hide their their reasonings and feelings, of course, but I think that is a very important commentary that this episode makes for our understanding of what it means to be human. Trust is a powerful ally among people, ladies and gentlemen. And this episode, as a result of, of the way that they display that theme, is perhaps my favorite thus far of the series. And this lesson of trust is definitely at the heart of what I think Star Wars entails. Star Wars is a, as the way I understand it, it is a mythological space opera fantasy fairy tale for kids that are at the age of 12 on the precipice of going out into the world and learning these through the interactions and shortcomings and opportunities of these characters in these settings and, and situations. They learn what it means what I should do in those situations, right? It's a safe environment for those kids to have those types of interactions while having to go and learn those lessons themselves at the end of the day. And what they're learning here is that the group that trusts each other is the one that prevails in the end. They are able to work together, communicate, and have strong, strong connections as a result. And and they're the ones that move forward, right? The group on Aldani is the only one that makes progress in this episode and gets from point A to point B while the other characters stay in place. Important to note. And with that, everybody, that's all I had for this week's episode of Force Ghost Conversations. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode discussing the next and or episode. May the Force be with you.